Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a margarita. What are you having, Jenny? Today, I have a dirty Shirley. On this episode, we're exploring the bizarre and suspicious death of Lavina Johnson. Lavina was born on July 27, 1985 in Florissant, Missouri, to Dr. John Johnson and Linda Johnson. She had four siblings, and her father, John, was a veteran of the U.S. military who later served as a military psychologist. As a child, Lavina sang in her church choir and played the violin. She was a consistent honor roll student and was involved in sports and volunteer groups in middle and high school. When she was in the fifth grade, she heard of and joined People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, also known as PETA. She became a dues-paying member at the age of 11 years old and later became a vegetarian. According to the website run by Lavina's family, she had three main goals in life. To attend college and major in performing arts so she could later become a movie producer to form a family music and movie company to showcase her family's talents and to make a difference in the world. She wanted to attend college on the West Coast. Though her parents had the means to pay for her college tuition, Lavina felt as though she should pay for college herself. To do that, she decided to forego college and join the U.S. Army, an idea which her family objected to. They later apprehensively agreed to Lavina's plan, and in September 2004, she enlisted in the U.S. Army. To this day, her father is convinced that Lavina had been indoctrinated by recruiters visiting her high school and was excited by the promises the Army claimed they could fulfill. Lavina attended basic training at Fort Jackson in South Carolina for eight weeks. At her graduation exercise, her parents were told by her drill sergeants they could tell she was raised in a disciplined home because she was mentally tough, was often used as a role model to both female and male soldiers. Lavina was assigned to the 129 Corps Support Battalion and deployed to serve a tour in Balad, Iraq in May 2005. She became a private first class and worked in the communications building on her base. Her job allowed her to keep in regular contact with her family, and on July 17, 2005, she called her mother, saying that she would be coming home early for Christmas. Her mom remembers Lavina telling her she had gotten a new job on the base and that she was looking forward to decorating the Christmas tree when she returned. Just two days later, on the morning of July 19th, her parents received devastating news. A soldier knocked on their door and told them that Lavina was dead from a self-inflicted wound. Lavina was 19 and just a few days shy of her 20th birthday. Lavina's parents were in shock. Dr. Johnson remembers, quote, watching the soldier thinking he was a statue, end quote, and hearing his wife scream and cry behind him. They were both in disbelief since they had just spoken to Lavina, who seemed very happy and excited about her future. They thought their daughter would have never committed suicide. The family's suspicions were raised even further as they prepared for Lavina's funeral. The Army recommended a closed casket funeral, but the Johnsons chose an open casket funeral instead. As the funeral drew closer, they noticed several strange things about Lavina's body. Lavina's nose appeared to be broken, one of her eyes was sunken in, and her lips were cut. Lavina was buried in her formal military attire, which included a pair of white gloves. However, the gloves were glued onto her hands, which was not normal protocol. According to the Army's investigation, which came out months after her death, Lavina got off work sometime between 4 and 5 p.m., met up with the male soldier 
who she hung out with for approximately four hours in his room and then they both went to the shopping area to pick up some items before the two went their separate ways. Lavina never made it to her physical training appointment and fellow soldiers could not find her in her barracks or room. At 1.20 a.m., her body was found in a contractor's tent that was on fire in a pool of blood with her hand covering her face. Near her body was an M16 rifle, scattered papers, and an aerosol can. Her death was officially ruled a suicide after an autopsy was performed. The army believed Lavina, who was upset that her boyfriend of two months had broken up with her over email, went into the contractor's tent, an area that was off limits to soldiers, found an aerosol can and burnt letters and emails from him, set the tent on fire, and then committed suicide by cradling an M16 automatic rifle between her legs and firing it into her mouth. Lavina's family remembered several things from her funeral that didn't seem to add up with what the army concluded. Aside from her appearance and glued-on gloves, the only sign of a gunshot wound was a small bullet hole on the left side of her head. Dr. Johnson also doesn't buy that Lavina's arms were long enough to pull the trigger if the gun was cradled between her legs like the Army's report described. Her family wanted answers, but the U.S. Army refused to give any more details about Lavina's death, saying the Johnsons were not entitled to their reports. This was an instance of suicide to them. Frustrated, Dr. Johnson filed a Freedom of Information Act request in order to receive Lavina's autopsy and case files. Not backing down, her family sought help from the media and Representative William Lacey Clay Jr., with his support, the Army eventually handed over their findings. Once her family finally got their hands on the official autopsy report and the Army's investigation report, they were shocked. They learned that no rape kit was done and no fingernail scrapings were ever taken. When questioned, the Army said this was done because there were no signs of a struggle. It seems that the medical examiner who conducted the autopsy was determined her death was a suicide. In the report, the Johnsons found a Xeroxed copy of a CD-ROM that included photos of Lavina in the crime scene. When the family received these photos, they again seemed to contradict what the U.S. Army was telling them. The photos were graphic and showed Lavina with a broken nose, a black eye, bruises, bite marks, scratches, and loose teeth. Most disturbingly, it appeared that a corrosive liquid had been poured onto her genitals. Her thighs were burnt from this liquid, and her right hand was burnt as well. None of this had been mentioned in her autopsy report. Despite all of these injuries to her body, Lavina was found in the burning tent fully dressed. Morgue x-rays showed that Lavina suffered a broken nose, which appeared to have been fixed with plastic surgery post-mortem and a broken neck. Crime scene photos also showed that this M16 was not right next to her body, but parallel to her body in a way which made it look placed or staged. In addition, photos showed a trail of blood that was found outside of the tent and pools of blood next to Lavina. According to the Army's investigation report, there was no suicide note, no recovered fatal bullet, non-discernible fingerprints on the M16, and no significant gunshot residue on her hands. No DNA testing was ever done on the M16 either. According to one source, the serial number on the M16 found near Lavina did not match the number of the rifle given to her. The whereabouts of her rifle are unknown and this M16 owner was never identified.
As for the small hole on Lavina's head, the Army claims this was the exit wound from the M16, but ballistics experts say it's more consistent with a close-range shot from a 9mm rifle, and internal damage to Lavina's head suggests that the 9mm bullet likely lodged in Private Johnson's tongue, a major part of which had been removed during the military's autopsy, and of course, there is no mention of this removal in the autopsy report. In 2007, Lavina's body was exhumed and an autopsy paid for by CBS was conducted. It showed that parts of her vagina, tongue, and anus had been removed during the military's autopsy, none of which were mentioned in the military autopsy report. Lavina's uncle, who worked in forensics, believes parts of her vagina being removed is related to the corrosive liquids that were on her genitals and the potential use of a substance that soldiers use to heal wounds. Despite the findings from the new independent autopsy, her cause of death was labeled as inconclusive. The Johnsons strongly believe Lavina was beaten, raped, and murdered, and that her death was covered up to appear as a suicide. Dr. Johnson told NPR, quote, It's probably involving someone with some rank and some prestige, and they, the U.S. military, are covering for them, end quote. Despite the Johnsons' steadfast beliefs, the Army has stuck to their report. Unfortunately, Lavina's case has never been re-examined by the Army, and her parents are are still seeking justice for their daughter. Johnson has become the face for women whose families suspect their non-combat related deaths, officially ruled suicides, were actually caused by rape and murder. So what do you think of this very strange case? I am so conflicted about this case. While the army is definitely not being forthcoming, I haven't seen any evidence as to why. In other cases, it was very clear that they were protecting someone. And it makes sense to me that the original autopsy did not include a rape kit, as it wouldn't have been a standard protocol for a probable suicide. However, there are things about Lavina's death that don't add up. Like we stated, there was a blood trail, bruises, and other visible signs that she wasn't alone at the very least shortly before she died. I can't say for sure whether she was raped and murdered, but I don't think that it was a simple suicide that the army is reporting it to be. How about you? There's no way you can convince me this was a suicide. Nothing makes sense. From their statement that she lit the tent on fire and then killed herself what are really the like odds of that happening nothing from these reports makes any sense that aligns with that where did all of these all of this damage to her body come from and again she was found with her clothes on yet she had all of these fresh i would assume bruises and abrasions beneath her clothing i agree with her family i will say there's not like definitive proof that she was raped but i mean with this liquid on her vagina and parts of her genitals being missing, I think we can all kind of infer that that was probably done to cover up evidence from a rape or some type of sexual assault. I feel so bad for her and her family and I respect her family so much because they will never stop seeking justice for her. And I'm really glad that this case has gotten a lot of attention. Maybe one day we'll get some type of independent review done. And again, tell like you said, there's no clear like evidence that they were trying to protect someone, which I think really is a good point because why were they being so secretive? I think it's clear that it's some type of cover up. I mean, I think it is a sexual assault, but is it more than that? Because as far as we know, Lavina didn't have like 
top secret information. I don't know if maybe she stumbled upon something somehow. It's so sickening and sad that she had to face such a cruel death. I will say for anyone that wants to do their own research into the case, there is pictures of her in the tent and there's pictures of her at her funeral. I would say proceed with caution if you look at them. I think it might take an anonymous co-worker of Lavina's to come forward maybe to get more information. Johnson's death and non-combat related death seem to coincide with the rise of military sexual assault reports. According to PBS, approximately 20,000 U.S. military members are sexually assaulted annually. In 2018, 20,500 service members were sexually assaulted or raped, including 13,000 women and 7,500 men. That same year, 6.3% of active duty men and 24.2% of active duty women were sexually harassed and a majority were harassed by someone in their chain of command. However, only 7,816 reported these cases and only in 350 cases were perpetrators charged with a crime. One third of victims were discharged within seven months after reporting. Military personnel are often reassigned and can be reassigned during a sexual assault case making it difficult for victims to have a constant support system and for lawyers and special counsel to gain experience with sexual assault cases. 64% of those who reported military sexual assaults have faced retaliation for doing so, and even victim advocates face retaliation when they address senior leaders. Reported military sexual assaults have been increasing over the last few years, which is a good thing in a way because it shows that more people are willing to come forward and speak out against their abusers. Recently, President Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin created an independent review commission to examine possible solutions, and both men have endorsed its findings. The Independent Review Commission made 80 recommendations, including removing military commanders from adjudicating sexual assault cases, better evaluation of commanders for the climate they create and how they respond to sexual assault and harassment claims, and that victim advocates must be separate from the chain of command. The commission also found that sexual harassment is a daily thing for some enlisted women and that junior service members do not trust their leaders to handle issues of sexual violence and harassment. One of the most shocking things the commission discovered is that 100% of military sexual assault victims have had suicidal ideation. Lynn Rosenthal, chair of the commission, said, quote, What happens in the military is the 24-hour nature of life makes victims feel trapped. And when policies aren't followed and their cases are not handled and they're not able to either transfer from units or have their commanders transfer the alleged offender from their unit, and when members of the unit isolate them, choose sides between them, and the alleged offender ostracize them, it feels overwhelming. And that can result in suicidal ideation. So let's get into two other cases of military sexual harassment and sexual violence. The most recent and notable is the case of Vanessa Gann. Vanessa was a 20-year-old small arms repair soldier who was stationed at Fort Hood Army Base in Killeen, Texas. She was allegedly bludgeoned to death in an arms room at the base by fellow soldier specialist Aaron Robinson, on April 22nd, 2020. Along with his girlfriend, Cecily Aguilera, they allegedly dismembered Vanessa and buried her remains about 20 miles from Fort Hood. Robinson was interviewed by Army investigators since he was the last person to see Vanessa alive. Her remains were found on June 30th, 2020, and when confronted for a second time by police, Aguilar confessed. 
Robinson was being watched at the army base but fled and eventually took his own life. Vanessa was initially reported missing by her family and they believed it to be under suspicious circumstances. Before her remains were found, Vanessa's mother admitted that Vanessa had been sexually harassed at Fort Hood. Her mother confirmed that it was Robinson who was sexually harassing her daughter. The Guillen's attorney told 2020, quote, I was told that he followed her into a shower and that there was another person that also harassed her and used vulgar words, end quote. However, Major General Donna Martin, the Army's provost, Marshall, also told the news program that the shower incident was probably a misunderstanding and that Robinson may not have been involved. Her case was a tipping point for the public and caused an investigation into Fort Hood. According to CBS News, a report found that the leadership climate at Fort Hood led to a permissive environment for sexual assault and there were serious flaws in the Army's sexual assault and harassment prevention policy. As a result of this report, 14 senior officers were punished for quote-unquote leadership failures. A case that's very similar to Lavina's is that of 20-year-old Army Private First Class Tina Priest. Priest was raped by a fellow soldier in February 2006 on the Camp Taji military base in the Middle East. The Army said Priest was found dead in her room on March 1, 2006 of a self-inflicted M16 shot, a quote-unquote suicide 11 days after the rape. Private Priest's mother disputes this claim, saying her daughter was not suicidal despite her trauma. Similarly to Lavina's father, she also wanted to know how her five-foot daughter with a short arm length held the M16 at the angle which would have resulted in the gunshot. The Army attempted several explanations, but each was debunked by Mrs. Priest and by the 800 pages of materials provided by the Army itself. The Army now says Tina used her toe to pull the trigger of the weapon that killed her. The Army never investigated Tina's death as a homicide, only as a suicide. Rape charges against the soldier whose sperm was found on her sleeping bag were dropped a few weeks after her death. He was convicted of failure to obey an order and sentenced to forfeiture of $714 for two months, 30 days restriction to the base, and 45 days of extra duty. Suspiciously or coincidentally, not long after Priest's death, another young female soldier was found dead on the same base from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. In her room where her body was found, investigators discovered her diary open to a page on which she had written about being raped during training after unknowingly drinking a date rape drug. Researching this, there were plenty of cases similar to this that we could have chosen. So I think that, so when looking at Lavina's case along with these two other cases, I definitely think that like the report said, that there was a leadership failing across the board and not really taking sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations seriously. You know, you have the instance where someone reports it and they're the ones that get punished. Well, that creates an environment where no one's going to want to report it. And it also creates an environment of what's going to happen to me next. The way the army tries to duck and dive, especially the Tina Priest case, is absolutely ridiculous. And then they eventually fell on to, well, she did it with her toe. I have a hard time believing that that's how she killed herself. And I have a hard time believing that both Lavina and Tina would kill themselves in similar ways. It is really odd. And I've actually heard the pulling the trigger with the toe in other cases of suicide with civilian people. I've seen it on like 
the ID channel and some kind of investigation on there. But truly, what's the likelihood that someone would do that? I'm sure it's not impossible. I'm sure someone out there has done it. But I don't know. You just have to be very determined to hurt yourself, I guess, if you're going to do that that way. I don't see that happening. For two people, especially in such a short period of time, something's weird. Lavina's death is not the only non-combat death of a service member that is suspicious or believed to have been a cover-up or improperly investigated. The first instance we'll talk about is that of Matthew Warren Brown. Brown, who was a 20-year-old, was found dead from a single wound to his right temple on the morning of May 11, 2008 at the Forward Operating Base in Asadabad, Afghanistan. He was on duty as a guard at the base's watchtower at the time of his death. The crime scene was not immediately investigated by the Army CID, Criminal Investigative Division, or roped off, and it became contaminated, and many soldiers were at the crime scene unsupervised. Blood tests showed that Brown had enough of the sedative valium in his system to render him incapable of coherent action. On May 15th, the medical examiner declared Brown's death a suicide despite the investigation in Afghanistan barely beginning. However, this ruling didn't take physical evidence like lack of blood back spatter that would have been on Brown's body into consideration. No soldiers that gave statements knew of any mental or emotional difficulties Brown was facing, and in fact his friend said he was excited about a recent promotion and was really starting to plan for his future, both inside and outside of the military. Brown's mother did not believe her son committed suicide either. She told the CID that Brown didn't want to return to Afghanistan after his recent home leave. He told his mother that one of his sergeants was running a drug ring, smuggling in prescription narcotics from Pakistan, and selling them to American troops eager to tune out the war. Brown told his mother he had made a mistake. He had let the sergeant co-opt him into being the courier who took the risk of acquiring the narcotics at the bizarre outer forward operating base, then carried the contraband past security into the inner forward operating base. Recently, he had told the sergeant he wanted out. The sergeant had refused and had threatened him. As Sandra Evans, his mother, drove her son to the airport, he had told her that he might not return alive. The investigation into Brown's death was formally closed on February 8, 2009. However, several months after his case was closed, CID case files were mailed to Brown's mother, Sandra Evans. She worked with a lawyer to make sense of the files, which revealed the CID never performed ballistic or trajectory studies. There were witness contradictions, and a brief investigation into a drug ring did take place. Brown's case was reopened briefly in 2018, but closed again, unfortunately. And interestingly, the CID commander at the time, Brigadier General Rodney Johnson, also served during the time of Lavina Johnson's death. So the next case that we're going to look at is that of Sierra Durkin. On September 28, 2007, Army National Guard Specialist Sierra Durkin, who was age 30 and worked as a finance specialist who did payroll, was found lying near a church on a very secure Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan with a single gunshot wound to her head. At first, the Pentagon reported that Durkin had been killed in action, but then revised the statement 
to say that she had died of injuries, quote, suffered from a non-combat related incident, end quote, at the airfield. Her sister told a local newspaper that Durkin, who had recently been home, told her about something she had come across that raised some concerns with her. Her sister said, quote, she was in the finance unit and she said, quote, I discovered some things that I don't like and I have made some enemies because of it, end quote. She continued by saying that Durkin said if anything happened to her to make sure it was investigated. Her family also felt that Durkin's sexuality could have played a role in her death. Vanity Fair magazine said, quote, Most military families lack the resources to challenge the official findings, but the numbers we do know suggest that Army investigators are mishandling non-combat deaths in war zones, adding to the anguish of families whose loved ones died while serving their country. Since 2001, the U.S. military appears to have prosecuted only five soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq for the murder of fellow soldiers. During the same period, it has ruled the deaths of 362 soldiers to be suicides. A major criticism of the U.S. military is that they are not transparent with grieving families and discourages families from investigating further. This makes it seem to the public that the U.S. military is too caught up with protecting and serving their own image that they fail to protect and serve the most vulnerable within their ranks. Many have noted they especially do not do a good job of protecting women and women of color who serve. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the death of Lavina Johnson. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the Hillside Stranglers. As always, stay safe.